This podcast is brought to you by Switchboard, providing peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and communities. Switchboard Victoria also has a dedicated queer, trans, intersex, people of colour program. You can find out more at switchboard.org.au. This podcast is proudly made with the support of the Victorian Government. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Wurundjeri and Bunurong elders past, present and future. We wish to extend this respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander queer community, sister girls and brother boys, whose stories have come before us and whose stories will continue to be told after us. Sovereignty was never ceded here. A single grain of rice can tip the scale. One man can be the difference between victory and defeat. 7,817,247. Representing 61.6%. During the campaign, I was busy taking down posters put up in my community, Footscray, that said things like, Homosexuality causes cancer in my native language, while no posters or brochures were provided by the yes constituents outside of English. What is love is love supposed to mean for someone with limited English? The right wing pushed hard in working class migrant areas. The left wing white promoters left us in the dust. It's no secret that Vote Yes pushed hard with the classic archetype of the marriage equality supporter, white, middle to upper class progressives in the inner eastern suburbs. As a Muslim POC, I expect to be undermined and traumatised by the government. That's nothing new. What hurt during the survey is how white allies and white LGBTQIA left us to fend for ourselves with no support and othered our communities as socially backwards in the aftermath. Think how it looks in an area like Footscray, which is at the cusp of gentrification. All the gentrifying cafes and bars with yes posters on their windows What does that say about mainstream LGBTQIA allyship in an area where gentrification has bred resentment and increased rent prices in a working-class POC area? I talked to the one POC business I could find with a yes poster up during that time, one of West Footscray's Indian supermarkets, and the owner fought with his mother hard to put it up. The POC who fought for marriage equality had to deal with ten times the trauma, ten times the resistance than any white ally. And what do they get for that labour? Being looked at suspiciously at rallies. An overwhelmingly white yes celebration party. Suspicion and blame for no votes, despite being a tiny minority of the population, having no social power and being given no attention during the yes campaign. It was the last straw for me. I'm tired of white people with rainbow shirts and buttons side-eyeing me as if they know I disapprove. And they're right. I'm not part of their community. White LGBTQIA have done nothing for QTPOC and the postal vote campaign solidified that. What a horrific, unnecessary, cruel and stigmatising process this was. In the interest of so-called debate, our lives were dragged through the mud. Hate speech and fear campaigns were set loose by the government and the far right were emboldened. It was a disgusting and opportunistic open season of demonisation, prejudice and hate. 
I can never forgive the so-called leaders who put us through this, and they have blood on their hands for queer people who haven't survived the hate that they mandate. Hurtful. It was a weapon by the religious and conservatives to skewer gay people and their families. It created a division in my large family where my mum, elderly, followed the Catholic Church belied. My few sisters who were anti-gay, but love the sinner, born-again Christians, took the opportunity to divide the whole family. At the end, everything went back to normal, nothing changed for them, and I was the ungrateful sister who questioned their faith and marriages. It had taken 20 years of acceptance to a postal vote that will forever divide me. They don't have to apologise because they believe I won. I'm Tan Hung Fan, and you're listening to When Love Wins. Stories where queer people of colour share with us their lives during the Australian Marriage Postal Survey. Love wins. Love is love, and equal love, have become deeply ingrained in our memories of the Marriage Postal Survey. Everywhere we looked, we saw rainbow flags, t-shirts, and even corporations selling us equal love. But for many queers, love is more than just branding or hashtag love wins. Some queers challenge marriage as an institution and don't see it as a priority for feminist reasons. Meanwhile, for queer people of colour, marriage can be complicated due to cultural factors. For many queer people of colour, we grew up with the idea that marriage is not just about institutional recognition, but it's also about family. So how do we take the parts of our culture that we love and marry it with our queer selves, our hopes, our dreams, and our chosen family? How do we navigate being a minority within a minority? For Brian Lau, this didn't stop him from fighting for love. The day after the yes vote, a photo of Brian leaping with joy among a confetti of rainbows was published on the front page of the Australian newspaper. Looking at the photo, you can almost hear him screaming yes. Everyone is covered in rainbows, but there's something different about Brian. He is the only Chinese Australian in the picture. Brian spent 10 years campaigning on same-sex marriage in Australia. In the year of the postal survey, he campaigned heavily in the suburbs that would later be known as the No Electorate. Part of Brian's strategy was to have conversations with the Chinese-Australian community about the Yes campaign. My name is Brian Lau, but I was born as Jing Cheng Lau. Um, My pronouns are he and him, and I grew up in Melbourne after migrating when I from Malaysia when I was about two years old. I've been campaigning for marriage equality for about 10 years. And prior to the result of the Yes campaign, and it was a very interesting time because my brother was getting married at the same time as we were campaigning. So there were there was a lot of interesting stories that came from that, as well as trying to communicate to the Asian Australian community about the importance of marriage equality. 
tell us what it meant to you to win the yes vote during the marriage postal survey and more generally your involvement in the campaign. If we look at the yes campaign from the day that we got the big result on the ni- on the 17th of November, I thought it was an astounding thing. It was a big day because I for me like I had spent the 3 months prior just knocking on doors and making sure that every single person who I came into contact with really felt quite engaged in the whole process and being able to you know come around and support the LGBTI community prior to that I first started campaigning for marriage equality when I was in high school and back then it was considered almost a fringe issue at the time and so seeing the importance of the issue grow within the consciousness of every Australian became increasingly, I guess, like exciting, but at the same time, energizing and, and and important for me to keep at it and make sure that, you know, we really got a good result for the community. Yeah, wow. And so you said you've been campaigning since you were in high school. That's a really long time. And there's a famous photo of you that's been printed and distributed um, since the results were announced during the, the Marriage Postal Survey. What was it like to have such a public front for you and for your family? It's quite a humbling experience, actually, to have such a, a photo on the um, front page of The Australian, because I think that when I think of the 15th of November, so I recall, yes, it was Wednesday, the 15th of November, when we were waiting at 10 o'clock outside the State Library of Victoria in Melbourne, and um, we got the yes campaign vote. And I remember like jumping up with joy and just looking around and seeing the rest of the crowd. And I think that everyone was just so happy, like we had worked so hard. It just felt like the right thing to do. Australia had made the right decision. And so from that, that photo on the front page of the Australian I think just captured not only just how I felt, but I I think that a lot of people were able to project how they felt about that one moment in time. It was this sense of relief that finally something good had actually come across all of Australia and there was no need to be scared and no need to be fearful. Like we could finally say that, yes, like Australia loves us. Australia loves the LGBTI community. I mean, out of all the photos that I saw come out during the results day, I'd have to say that you were probably one of very few people of colour on, you know, in a such a prominent photo. Can you talk to a little bit about that and in, in terms of like race and um, the marriage postal survey and the campaigns that unfolded? Sure. So I guess I'll talk about it in, in two parts. The first being my experience in, uh, I guess, like campaigning as an ethnically Chinese Australian and then the second part in the context of like what was happening within my own family. So I guess, so to go back to the first, I think that family customs and cultural traditions and like cultural expectations that come with being culturally Chinese meant that marriage equality didn't come as easily to us as in other parts of Australia. And so I think it was really quite challenging because some of the advertising that was used at the time just might not have been like as easily digested for the Chinese community as like as other communities that had an effect in two ways the first is there wasn't a lot of engagement for us and it meant that people who did campaign within the Chinese Australian community like myself we had to draw on our own personal language skills we had to find different personal networks and basically build smaller more sustained networks of support in order to to, to get some traction within this issue and 
it wasn't the easiest. There were significant and different challenges that came with that. But I guess like that's just one of the realities about being a minority within a big multicultural country like Australia. Like you always have to find different ways to engage a different community. Now, as for what was happening for me, my brother had organized to be married on the Saturday after the marriage equality survey. And I guess I, I've, I really want the listeners out there to know that like I do love my brother and I loved everything that his marriage meant. He deserves all of the happiness with his wife as much as, you know, like any other couple. And I think that the date was just one where we didn't we didn't know that this was going to happen. It was just an example of the, the government not realizing that there are consequences when they make decisions like this to have people to vote. And so while my brother was planning for his wedding with all of the traditional customs that come with having a Chinese wedding. And of course, my parents putting all of their attention to my brother at the time. I, on the other hand, was fighting for my own right to get married. And if the shoe was on the other foot, like I would have expected everyone to be fully committed to the planning of my own marriage. And so there were times where it just kind of felt that I was spreading myself emotionally quite thin, like having to commit to my brother's wedding, having to commit to my own wedding, having to make sure that I was taking care of myself and making sure that like my brother actually knew that while I was campaigning for marriage equality, it didn't take away from how important I thought his day was as well. So balancing off those two expectations were really quite challenging at the time. Did you ever have a conversation with your brother or your family where there was like misunderstandings or you tried to explain to them that this was important to you too? There was this rehearsal dinner that we had organized for a couple for the when sorry for the night of that Wednesday when the yes vote came through at the time when we were planning prior to it we didn't know what the result was and so my parents had understood the date as well you'll get the result and regardless of whether the result is in your favor or not you can still come to this rehearsal dinner and I knew what I was going to be like if it was going to be a no I would have been in no position to attend a rehearsal dinner and if it was a yes I would have been out screaming and I was out on the streets screaming and enjoying myself and having a lot of fun and so it was definitely not the best night to be having a rehearsal dinner at short notice I think that that's one of the challenges that came with organizing our lives during marriage equality. Like we, my brother understood exactly why I couldn't be there. And I, I knew that this was a decision that I had to make because I come from two communities. I come from my Chinese Australian community and I also come from my LGBT community. And this was just a decision that I had to make. And it was a consequence of this marriage equality campaign. Brian's coming out story paralleled his 10 years of campaigning on same-sex marriage in Australia. After the yes vote, Brian helped an old family friend navigate a complex conversation. It's always wise to remember that coming out isn't just a coming out for the person who identifies it as LGBTI. It's also a coming out for their parents as well because it's a growing process where they come to learn to accept more about their own child and more about themselves and they have to go through like their own journey and process and hopefully there's a bit of a harmonizing point that both parties meet and I guess for us like marriage equality wasn't something that was on our radar for a long period of time because 
my parents were still coming to understand what it meant to have a gay son. And when we got to 2017, I think that when the dust settled on my brother's wedding, when we knew what the Yes campaign was, I think that my parents were very proud of the outcome. And one of the tangible outcomes for us was we had a family friend who um, who I bumped into who identified as trans. And this family friend was 10 years younger than me. And I would never have thought that I would be in a position where I could offer advice or guidance in this situation. But not only was I able to come to the assistance of making the environment, our social environment, more understanding of this transfer, and I was able to help put this trans friend's parents into contact with my own parents because this trans friend's parents also Chinese Australian. And my fear for her was that when parents don't understand something and they live in this vacuum of information and knowledge and even connection, that fear turns into loneliness and rejection. And I never wanted that. So the journey for for us, for my parents and I across marriage equality all the way up to the result and where we are now where we can offer help to other parts of the community is just such a phenomenal journey when I reflect back on it. Oh, there's so many layers to to you helping out, you know, your friend that you bumped into and to help uh, their parents understand, um, yeah, her journey in a, in a different way and for you to connect the parents with each other as well. When you facilitated that, I guess was the your friend's parents receptive initially or did it take a bit of time to to get them to understand i think it was very of the ethno-cultural expectations what had happened was it wasn't something as simple as my speaking to like my friend's parents and say oh hey like could you please talk to my parents because i think that it would help your child in this situation i think that that would have created all that would have been such a clumsy way in which it happened and so I first spoke to my trans friend and made sure that she was okay. And then we plotted. We thought that what might be an idea is if she spoke to her mother and said that she had bumped into me somewhere at Parliament Station and I would speak to my own mother and I would say that I bumped into her at Parliament Station and that this is you know, who she is, she's now trans then both of the mothers would know that this was the growing story of each of their families. And so from that, I advised my mother, could you please call this friend's mother and just have a chat? And so they had this really nice conversation. And I understand that within 20 minutes, half an hour of just polite conversation after having not spoken in such a long time, it was an hour or longer of just talking about all of the things that come with having an LGBTI child. It was very warming. It was very, very warming to hear that two parents could actually get together and they could share all of their hopes and fears and all of their questions with one another and do it in a safe and comfortable space that respected the fact that they were both Chinese-Australian families. Do you have a sense of like what kind of hopes and fears your parents had for you and kind of coming out at the same time? The challenges of being intersectional, being you know, LGBTI and being Chinese, mean that we do have different types of challenges that arise. And 
So we're essentially minorities within minorities. And it makes it, I guess, exceedingly difficult to reach big benchmarks that we want to see. So for instance, like the house, the marriage, you know, like the full acceptance within society to say that we've actually found the place, that sense of belonging that comes with just saying that like, I belong in this part of the world. I belong in this community. We have to essentially find a community and we have to say that, well, for who we are and who we come, come as like, you know, we belong here. And I guess that's probably one of the biggest fears that both of our respective parents harbored wondering whether a Jing Cheng Lao can actually make it as a gay Brian in Melbourne, Australia. came to Australia in 2008 for her godmother's 80th birthday. This is where she felt moved by the sounds of the city, and not long after, she packed up her life in New Zealand and moved to Melbourne. She now spends her time singing in a choir or gathering with the queer Asian collective Yellow Kitties. There was half a dozen choir members that sang. Something moved me. It was like a feeling in my gut, maybe it was love, or the sound. I just knew I wanted to find out more about this choir. Within 24 hours, I just knew. To me, that's love. Maybe I fell in love with a sound or a feeling that made me stay here, want to be here, and it's still here. I've gone back to New Zealand a few times, much as I like it and connect with friends. But I feel my home's really here. I resonate more. There's more culturally here for me, the diversity and the queer community. And I'm part of Yellow Kitties, and we're going to be next September, not this year, next year, will be the 20th anniversary. Before Chuping moved to a new country, she was in a long-term relationship for 18 years and raised two children in New Zealand. While she was never married, she struggled to earn a place within her family. This pushed her to cultivate a compassionate kind of love and to strive for equality. My birth name is Chu Ping. It means calm peace. It's amazing how many people try to shorten it or say Chu Ping. They try to put a K in there that's not there. And sometimes I get frustrated, but I'm really happy that it means calm peace because I had an English name that given to me much later that didn't mean much. And uh, being a Buddhist and, and living a Buddhist lifestyle, it's, it suits who I am. During um, the marriage postal survey here in Australia, the campaign slogan was love wins. That was a common thing that mm. was, uh, or love is love, love wins. Those were the two common slogans that were generated through the Yes campaign. And the whole premise of the campaign was to get same-sex marriage uh, across the line and to get it legalised. What are your thoughts on marriage and love and how that campaign used those two ideals? To be really honest and open, it has its advantages and disadvantages. For instance, uh, I think so much more equality now with the same sex than it was in the heterosexual world before they 
put in uh, de facto and stuff like that because I was in a long-term relationship before all that and because my male partner was so hurt when I came to leave. I wasn't leaving permanently, I just wanted change and he wasn't really going to change and I was prepared to meet him halfway but he tried changing and just went back to how it was. You just love on that sort of level, but unfortunately, before the de facto, we had 18 years together. He said, you came nothing and you can leave with nothing. And that, that still really hurts. We never actually healed that. That's the sadness. I thought we healed our relationship, but he never changed as well. And what did he mean by you came with nothing and you'll leave with nothing? He felt financially I didn't contribute. But I bore his children. I, I did the housekeeping, I, yeah, it's just sometimes, not necessarily just men, women can too, when they are workaholics, it's not equal. So you're talking marriage of equalities, there's a lot of non-equality mm. in the world that I've had in relationship with loving relationships. You know, I, I had difficulty earning my place within my family. I was a middle child. There was a favourite one for my father and a favourite one for my mother. I was the odd one out that I felt like I didn't fit in, which was something I had to live with and overcome. It was blatantly obvious, made obvious, of the favouritism, which made it even more painful. People tend to fall in love and they, they lose a sense of who they are. I, my belief is to be able to rise in love. If you walk the same path together, you can grow together. But if you've got different values and different beliefs, it's very hard to grow together and even stay together. You know, growing up, uh, what kind of messages were you sent in terms of like what a marriage is? Well, my parents always argue. I actually didn't think much of marriage. I probably went to a handful of weddings. It was more of a social event. I don't know if I saw love. I I, I can remember because I went through some old photos. I remember uh, my brother getting married the first time around with a, a sort of a local Chinese girl, and I could still see the the picture of the wedding. I don't know. It was to them. Was it real love or just a procedure? Because when he met somebody else in guilt, he left her everything, you know, a couple of houses, he walked out virtually with nothing. And he couldn't talk about it. Often Asians don't even come out with the family and their parents. They don't talk openly about their past, about their lives or skeletons in the closet. He just waited to the right amount of time so the, the divorce was legal and remarried and it wasn't spoken of. And even my mother rang me up from Hong Kong. He took her to Hong Kong to the wedding and said, oh, your brother's going to bring home a woman. you just got to be nice to her. She didn't even say it's his second wife. For the open person I am, I'm surprised that I'm either the black sheep or the white sheep. Maybe the white sheep because I'm not ch that Chinese on banana. That... Um, the whole idea of being so closeted with their feelings has turned me into such an open person that sometimes people find me too open. 
Just back to the marriage equality um, survey, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm wondering if you think that in the context of the marriage equality campaign, if using the phrase love wins was successful? There's a yes and no with that too. Yeah, of course, love, they say always wins, but is that love going to stay? That's a really good point. <laughs> is that love going to stay? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. is that love going to grow, actually? Yes. So yeah. the, it's only a temporary one, you know. Mm. It's, it's, it's how people use it or misuse it. I mean, especially I told you in this situation of dividing of the material things. It's just so sad. I mean, it, it doesn't get acknowledged to the same point in, in straight marriages, which is sad. Often men... Quite often, the man wants more control of the money. You know, to be, I was so hurt and devastated by so-called the love of my life to say that I came with nothing, I could leave with nothing. But I knew and sort of let go of that because I knew he was, it was out of anger because I I did the leaving. I, I, I did the leaving. Um, the, the first uh, woman I fell in love with, she did the leaving, but I don't think we were in a stable relationship. The second one that I spent two years with that over 20 years ago is the fact that I did the leaving. So there's an equation in who does the leaving to within relationships. But it's good if it's mutual, but somehow it gets misinterpreted through misunderstanding and possibly greed that it's not and even in this stage of equality it's not really that equal there's a lot of positive aspects of of the yes vote but if it's misused there could be negative side effects as well coming up on our next and final episode we find out about what happens after love wins. What conversations were queer people of colour having at home, in schools, and with their friends and family during and after the marriage postal survey? I'm Tan Hung Fan, and you've been listening to When Love Wins, stories where queer people of colour share with us their lives during the Australian marriage postal survey. When Love Wins is a podcast produced by Switchboard and funded by the Victorian State Government. Switchboard Victoria provides peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and communities. Our host and producer was Tan Hung Pham and our project coordinator was Caroline Riddler. In November 2018, Switchboard put out a survey to hear from queer people of colour about their experience of the Australian Marriage Postal Survey. The results were read aloud on this podcast by Rebecca Robertson and Shamita Siva. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been produced by Switchboard with the support of the Victorian Government. To find out more, visit switchboard.org.au.